Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, good morning, everyone in the United States and Canada and in other parts of the world where it is the morning. My name is uh, Kennard. I'm your host for the Merciful Servants of God Biblical Instructional Program. This program can be found also on iTunes for those who have smartphones. Please listen to it. Also, pass this program on to other people through other social media outlets. Facebook. I advertise on Facebook. Twitter. Sign up on my Twitter account. Please get uh, these messages out to as many people as possible. I'm not in it for the money. Uh, You heard it here. And uh, I will repeat that uh, as much as necessary for you to understand. I'm not trying to ask anyone for money. I am concerned about people's souls, their lives, and care of me financially. So you're not going to be hearing me begging for contributions. Uh, The Bible is plain about that. If you want to give, that's fine. I'm not going to stop you. But uh, that's not the sole purpose of uh, me doing what I'm doing. So I just want to explain that to you. Now, what we're going to talk about is something that um, I don't think a lot of people today, matter of fact, I know a significant amount of people don't understand, the concept of hard work. Also, people don't understand that ministers or Torah teachers also should work. Go way of understanding it. And I'm going to explain this today. Please hear me out. Because I do have the scriptures and also Jewish history to prove that Torah teachers should work in addition to doing ministry work, preaching and praying and and writing articles. All right, but before I get into that, uh, I will go over any uh, significant world news, uh, first internationally, then domestically, and then we will... Answer the question, what is the Bible's definition of work? And so, for those who are familiar with the program, I go to watch.org. And this is a website you should regularly review anyway. You shouldn't wait for me each and every week to review it. uh, Because William Koenig does a very good job of telling us what's going on uh, in the Middle East and in Jerusalem. And any news that's related to that like the following. If you type in watch.org, 
uh, you'll see that uh, General John Allen named as U.S. envoy to anti-IS coalition. And so this is uh, referring to uh, the, the fight against the Islamic State group who unfortunately they have cut someone else's head off. And uh, that's unfortunate, and uh, we need to pray for the family of the British uh, individual that unfortunately had his head cut off. And this is only going to get worse, folks, because we as a nation, as a world, do not want to repent. But a scripture just popped up in my mind, and Jeremiah, let's go to Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 7. Let's, let's remember that Jeremiah was a prophet to the nations, not just to Israel, but to the nations. And in Jeremiah 18, verse 7, the prophet states, At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up, to pull down, and to destroy? Verse 8, if, so there's a condition, if that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, I will repent or change his mind of the evil that I thought to do unto them. And it works the other way around, too. And this is, uh, you don't want to get to a point where God wants to punish you, folks. Uh, in verse 9, it says, And at what instance I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom, to build and to plant it. In other words, to bless it. Verse 10, If it do evil in my sight, obey not my voice, then I will repent of the good wherewith I said I would benefit them. This is talking about any nation. Please familiarize yourself with this scripture. It's very important, and God does not lie. And to any world leader that's listening to this, Obama, whoever, please realize that this scripture is serious. And if you do repent and encourage the people that you rule over to repent, He's going to do what he says. He will repent of the evil that he thought to do unto your nation and all nations that don't want to obey the great Yah. So let's understand that. Unfortunately, Isaiah chapter 26 prophesies the following. Verse 9. Isaiah 26 verse 9. Isaiah 26, verse 9, says, With my soul have I desired thee in the night, yea. With my spirit within me I will seek thee early. For when thy judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. And what is righteousness as defined by the Bible? Psalm 119, verse 172. Let's turn there. Psalm 119, Psalm 119, 172. It states the following. My tongue shall speak of thy word, for all thy commandments are righteousness. All of my mitzvah. Okay? Are righteousness. The Hebrew words for commandments, mitzvah. All right, so let's understand that as we continue to, to look at some of the headlines here on this website, Netanyahu, the Prime Minister of Israel, says ISIS, Hamas, and Al-Qaeda, or Al-Qaeda, all branches of the same poison tree. <laughs> I tell you, he's very good at rhetoric. Huh? 
uh, when he speaks. So Kerry opposes Iran's role in anti-Islamic state coalition. All right, so it's heating up here in the Middle East, and we're getting to the fall festival season. I will be speaking about that uh, perhaps next week, about Yom Teror, the festival of um, trumpets. Yom Teror is, is the Hebrew for it. So we need to start focusing on, pro- well, we need to focus on prophecy anyway, ladies and gentlemen, but uh, especially during this time of the season, uh, we need to really um, focus on prophecy. It looks like uh, things are heating up here, and we need to to really pay attention to what's going on in the world, folks. Uh, it, unless you have your head in the sand, which unfortunately quite a few people do, uh, what I mean by having your head in the sand, you just don't want to <laughs> recognize the reality of the wickedness of this world. And you can't be that way. Let's turn to Proverbs 29, verse 18. This is the reason why, one of the reasons anyway, you shouldn't be that way. Proverbs 29, verse 18. It says, where there is no vision. Now that word vision in Hebrew means kazon. And it means uh, a dream, revelation, oracle. And the complete Jewish Bible version translates this correctly. It says, without a prophetic vision. The people throw off restraint, but he who keeps Torah is happy. And so, having a prophetic vision, ladies and gentlemen, is very important because it helps you or is in conjunction or it works with keeping the Torah. And not only that, we as Yah's people, Yah is Hebrew short for Elohim, God, we as Yah's people, we must have the Messiah's testimony. What is the testimony of the Messiah? Let's look at Revelation 19, Revelation 19, verse 10. It states the following, and I'm going to read this in the complete Jewish Bible version. I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said, don't do that. I, I only a fellow servant with you, so we're not supposed to worship angels. And your brothers who have the testimony of Yeshua. Yeshua is Jesus' Hebrew name. Worship God, for the testimony of Yeshua is the spirit of prophecy. What is the Greek for spirit in this verse? It is pneuma, and it means spirit. That's what it means, ladies and gentlemen. Mental disposition. Irrational soul or life, vital principle, that's what it means. And so having the testimony of Yeshua is having the mindset of, of wanting to understand prophecy. You don't run away from it. Uh, you don't fear it. You want to find out about it. You want to find out about it. And see, as, as an assembly, as an assembly, we must focus on this more as we see the day approaching. And there's a scripture that talks about this. As the day is approaching, we need to, to as, a, as an assembly. This is the reason why we must assemble, and that's why in this movement, unfortunately, you have people that think they can just do it all by themselves with their, with their um, immediate family, and they don't understand what family really is. 
uh, ultimately, family is what Yeshua stated, those who obey the word of God and do it. Hebrews 10, verse 25. Actually, let's go to verse 24. Hebrews 10, verse 24. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. What is the Bible's definition of love? Hold your place and let's turn to Second uh, John chapter 1 to find out. It's a very simple definition. Verse 6, 2 John 1, verse 6. And this is love, that we walk after his commandments. Walk in Hebrew means do your halakha. Walk after his mitzvah. Or his mitzvah. This is the commandment, that as you heard from the beginning, you shall halakha or walk in it. This is love, that we do walk after his mitzvah or commandments. All right, so that, that's very important for us to understand. That's what love is. Many people think love is just kissing and hugging, just having sex. Well, that's how you express it. But that's not what love is. It's just an expression of love. That's the difference. Okay, and so Hebrews 10, verse 24, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Verse 25, Why? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. This is a prophecy because it was true back then. It's certainly true today. But exhorting one another. Exhorting. What does that mean in the Greek? It means to comfort one another, to pray for one another, to invite, to call for, not run away from. All right? And so much the more as you see the day, what day? The day of the Lord, the day of the Messiah coming and landing his great feet on the Mount of Olives to take over rulership of this world. And ladies and gentlemen, I see the day approaching. I'm not going to give dates, but there's no doubt that we are living in the end times, folks. There's too much going on, too much going on. Okay, so we must take that seriously ladies and gentlemen and we should not run away from prophecy that's the reason why I review world news each and every week I'm only following what Yeshua stated for us to do in Luke chapter 21 it states here Luke chapter 21 verse 36 it says watch ye therefore what does that mean in the Greek it means to keep awake and it's not just talking about keeping awake physically, but keeping awake spiritually. And we've got to pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things. There's, there's two ways we can escape. We can escape by uh, God having mercy on us and, and, and allowing us to die before all these, these things happen, or protect us during the tribulation. And hold your place here in Luke chapter 21. Let me go to Isaiah chapter 57. Isaiah chapter 57, beginning in verse 1. It says, the righteous perish. Who are the righteous? Those are people who keep the commandments. All the mitzvah, including keeping the Shabbat and the holy days. And no man layeth it to heart. And merciful men are taken away none considering that the righteous is taken away from the evil. Verse 2, he shall enter into peace, they shall rest in their beds, each one walking in his uprightness. 
That's one way we can escape the great wrath to come or the tribulation. Actually, that's not the great wrath, but the, the great wrath to come is the seven vials that are going to be unleashed on the earth. You know, in the book of Revelation, there's three judgments. There's seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven plagues or vials. And I think I did a Bible study on that. I'm going to redo that, st that study on the book of Revelation um, when the Lord wants me to. All right, because I have a better understanding of that book. I've been studying that book for almost 30 years. And uh, <laughs> you, as you study anything, you get better understanding of it. So, but anyway, in First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians, chapter five, verse one. It says, but of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. Verse two, for yourselves know perfectly. And it says perfectly, and it means uh, circumspectly, diligently, that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Verse 3. For when they shall sell peace, when, say, when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. And so there's going to be some kind of peace that's executed on a worldwide basis, and people are going to think, hey, everything is okay. And this, prophetically, people think there is peace in the world. And peace, ladies and gentlemen, is when you don't have to worry about someone can leave the door open or the car door open or unlocked. Same thing with your home. Peace is when all of your needs to take every human being's needs are taken care of around the world. Can we honestly say that that's the case? Of course not. And safety. Well, we have jails because we have wicked people. Now, some people, in all fairness, are innocent that are in jail, but quite a few of them are not. And, but if they were unleashed or let go, we would have uh, crime increase exponentially. But anyway, verse 3, Then sudden destruction, travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Uh, and then Yeshua states that as a snare shall it come upon all those on the face of the earth who are not watching. Instead, they look at their football games. They get drunk or they, they do other kind of other abominations, and they are not really focusing on what's going on. This program, one of the major purposes of it is to wake you up in a common sense way. Sure, I can speak Hebraic words. I can speak or, or, or just talk constantly through a uh, Hebrew roots Bible. But that's not the purpose of this program. The purpose of this program is to be clear. And most people are familiar with the King James Version of the Bible, which is the best English version of the Bible. And if you want to know the original meanings of those words, it's tied to Strong's Concordance of the Bible. What I recommend for those who are still listening to me and want to learn more, go to esword.net or .com and download the free program that he offers on that website. The King James Version uh, is uh, linked with the Strong's Concordance of the Bible. So, uh, matter of fact, I use this version 
for this program. And, you know, when I highlight a word, it tells me what the original meaning of it is. And so you don't really need to learn. It's nice to learn Hebrew, but you don't need to learn Hebrew if you know how to use the Strong's Concordance of the Bible. All right? That's a simple lesson in uh, how to study the Bible. I think I will. Matter of fact, I will in the future. Uh, God willing, I, I will give another program in the future on how to study the Bible. But anyway. Verse 4, but you, brethren, are not in the darkness, so we shouldn't be in the dark spiritually about what's going on in the world, folks, that the day should overtake you as a thief. Now, most people don't understand this. The Lord revealed this, this to me. I'm about to reveal something to you that perhaps you don't know, because we don't know it all, do we? And I don't, and I'm sure you don't either, so, so pay attention. Now, what does he mean when he says here, thief in the night? He comes as a thief in the night. Let's go to Revelation chapter 16. Revelation chapter 16. Now, remember in this chapter is talking about the, um, the seven last plagues, which is the wrath of God. Because in, in Revelation 16 verse 1 it states the following. And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. So this is the wrath of God. All right? And there's seven of them. Now, I want you to notice something. I'm going to quote. I'm going to quote what the sixth file or plague contains. Revelation 16, verse 12. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates. That's near the area of old Babylon, which is Iraq today. That name was changed to Iraq uh in the 1900s, in the early 1900s. Prior to that, it was named Babylon. Anyway, and the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. Verse 13, And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, out of the mouth of the false prophet. Verse 14, For they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. So, this is what our Lord says here. He gives us an interpretation of what that is. Verse 15, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watches and keeps his garments. What are we talking about? Staying awake, right? That he walk naked, and they see his shame. So the thief of the night is talking about the preparation of the world to battle God Almighty, which is a joke because it's not going to be a battle. As Revelation 19 tells you, it's going to be a quick bloodbath. But anyway, verse 16, And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. This is the sixth plague or vial, and Yeshua says that this is the time that he's going to come as a thief of the night. Because the seventh plague that's executed upon the earth, after that has occurred, that's when the Messiah will come with all the mighty angels and all the saints and land on the, on the Mount of Olives. All right? So let's go back. Let's go back to First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians. 
chapter 5. So we should be, those who are listening to me who are being called of God right now, we should be the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Verse 6, therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Verse 7, for they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. Is the hope of salvation, ladies and gentlemen. Let's turn to Psalms to find out. Hold your place in 1 Thessalonians, Psalms 119. 119, we're going to start in verse 165, great peace, that's the reason why you see the symbol of the dove on the blog talk radio, that's what I'm supposed to preach about, peace, great peace, have they which love thy tour, so you have to love the tour, ladies and gentlemen. You have to have affection for it. That's what it means in Hebrew. You have to have affection for the Torah. The Torah is the instructions and the doctrines of, of Yah. It's the entire 66 books, not just the first five books of the Bible, because Yeshua stated in Matthew 4, verse 4, you must live by every word of God, not just the first five books. And nothing shall offend them. Offend means cause you to sin. And so, if you keep the Torah, if you really want to keep it, then you'll have peace. That's the reason why the world doesn't have peace today. That's the reason why. And I can prove that to you in the book of Isaiah. Now, in verse 166, what is the hope of salvation? What does it have to do with? Psalm 119, verse 166. Lord, I have hope for thy salvation. And when you hope for the salvation of Yah, you do his commandments and have done thy commandments or mitzvot. Okay? What it means to hope for salvation, to do his mitzvot or commandments. All right. Let's go back. In verse 8. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for an helmet, the hope of salvation, which involves keeping the commandments on the mitzvah. Because, verse 9, for God has not appointed us to wrath. I just showed you what the wrath is. It's those seven last vials. In Revelation chapter 16, tain salvation by our Lord, Yeshua Messiah. Okay. Verse 10, who died for us that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Verse 11, wherefore comfort yourself together and edify one another even as also you do. Verse 12, since this Bible study is about labor and work, <laughs> I'm going to read it. It says, and we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you. So we should all be working, including ministers and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, deem them very highly in love for their work's sake, here we go about work, and be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, because they're working, right? Warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, 
How can you support the weak if you're not working yourself? Be patient toward all. Verse 15, see that none render evil for evil unto any, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all. And to all. Beautiful, 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 beautiful. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, sanctify means to set you apart. I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body, that's what we all consist of, a spirit, a soul, and a body. Be preserved blameless until the coming of our Lord, Yeshua Messiah, Jesus Christ. Okay. And so, world news, what we must understand is that things are heating up in the Middle East. Obama has already stated that he's bombing Syria, as I'm speaking. Now, in Isaiah chapter 17, what does it say? Verse 1, the burden of Damascus, behold, Damascus is taken away from being a city, and it shall be a ruinous heap. So we know that uh, Damascus was destroyed, but it's, is, is is still a city right now. And so this prophecy, it appears anyway, if I'm understanding it correctly, that it's going to happen again. So let's continue to look and see if that will happen, ladies and gentlemen. All right. So let's look at domestic news. Let's look at domestic news here, see what's going on. And what I do, for those who are familiar with the format of this program, I, I go to the economic blog, collapseblog.com, who I'm hoping to advertise on soon. Uh, Michael Snyder has done an excellent job of warning. He's a watchman. He has good insight of world events, and he does an excellent job, so much so that I, I, I know that Yah is leading me to advertise on his website. Um, it's got a be able to make sure that I can do it consistently. But anyway, the economic collapse says, are you prepared for the coming economic collapse in the next Great Depression? And I know most people aren't. And then on the top of the website, uh, below the, the title here, <clears throat> he has a menu, uh, gold coins, silver coins, emergency foods, uh, preppers, and so forth. So it's a good website, and he does a real good job, particularly of, telling us that the United States is headed for a great disaster financially. And you need to pay attention to it. I certainly have endorsed this website. All right. The headline, one of the headlines on the website here says the the, uh, the name of the website again, the URL, is the economiccollapseblog.com. Please take note of it and review it consistently. Anyway, it says, vote yes on Scottish independence. Scotland finally has a chance to get free from the British. And so, read that. Then once again, Obama shows that he is clueless about what is going on in the Middle East. Well, let me just read a little bit what he says here about Obama. He says, why would Barack Obama want to give hundreds of millions of dollars of weapons to groups inside Syria that are selling weapons to ISIS, the Islamic uh, militant group, and regularly fighting alongside them? Is he really that clueless about what is going on in the Middle East? The FSA and the other groups of moderate fighters inside Syria do not consider ISIS to be an enemy. Rather, they consider ISIS to be an important ally in the struggle to overthrow the Syrian government. In fact, many moderate units have actually joined ISIS in recent months. If Obama gives more weapons to the moderate fighters in Syria, 
it is inevitable that a lot of them will end up in the hands of ISIS. In the previous article, I already discussed how ISIS is taking or talking over vast stretches of Syria. Actually, this is um, the word should be uh, taking, is taking over vast stretches of Syria and Iraq using mostly American weapons. If the Obama administration goes ahead with this plan to arm moderates in Syria, it is just going to make ISIS even stronger. So let's just pay attention to what's going on here. There's obviously some monkey business going on that uh, is not being uh, truthful and honest about the conditions there. The next headline here says, The era of widespread biometric identification and microchip implants is here. It says, Are you ready to have your veins scanned every time you use your bank account? Are you ready to use a digital tattoo or microchip implant to unlock your telephone? Once upon a time, we read about such technologies in science fiction novels, but now they are here. The era of widespread biometric identification and microchip implants is upon us, and it's going to change the way that we live. Proponents of these new technologies say that they will make our private information and our bank accounts much more secure, but there are others that warn that these kinds of big brother technologies will set the stage for even more government intrusion into our lives. In the wrong hands, such technologies could prove to be an absolute nightmare. Here's another one. I have to read these, uh, ladies and gentlemen, particularly those who are in this country, United States, because uh, we are in for a great fall, and I must warn you. I must warn you, or else your blood will be upon my head, and I don't want that to happen. Small business ownership in America is at an all-time low. According to the Federal Reserve, the percentage of American families that own a small business is at the lowest level that has ever been recorded. Now, this is terrible, folks. This is significant. In a report that was just released entitled Changes in U.S. Family Finances from 2010 to 2013, Evidence from the Survey of Consumer Finances, this is a report that each and every American who want to be awake should read. The Federal Reserve revealed that small business ownership in America fell substantially between 2010 and 2013. I can relate to that one. Even in the midst of the so-called economic recovery, which is a total lie, small business ownership in America has now fallen to an all-time low. If the economy truly was healthy, this would not be happening. So true. And it isn't as if Americans are flooding the labor market either. As I detailed yesterday... The labor force participation rate in this country is at a 36-year low. Let me underscore that, emphasize that again. As I detailed yesterday, the labor force participation rate in this country is at a 36-year low. That would not be happening if the economy is actually healthy either. The truth is that the middle class in America is dying. We're dying. Report from the Federal Reserve is more evidence of this very harsh reality. Now, Here's another one that I must read, because uh, this program also, one of its purposes is to wake you up and help you to understand that we are living in perilous times, ladies and gentlemen. All right, and you're not going to hear this information on CNN and the other media outlets that is controlled by the elite of the world that are ruling the world. If the economy is recovering, why is the labor force participation rate at a 36-year low? Should we be concerned that the percentage of Americans that are either working or looking for work is the lowest that it has been in 36 years? In August, an all-time record high, 92,269,000 Americans, 16 years of age and older, did not 
participate in the labor force. Since this is about work, this is good that I'm talking about this, right? The, the title of this program or the subject of this program is about working. And when you throw in the people that are considered to be in the labor force but are not currently employed, that pushes the total of working-age Americans that do not have jobs to well over 100 million. Yes, it may be hard to believe, but there are more than 100 million working-age Americans that are not employed right now. Needless to say, this is not a sign of a healthy economy, and it is a huge reason why dependence on the government has soared to absolutely unprecedented levels. When people can't take care of themselves, they need someone else to take care of them. So true. If the percentage of people in the labor force continues to decline like it has been, what is that going to mean for the future of our society? Good question. Good question. And this is a good way to lead into the subject of this program. And he stated here the following. If the percentage of people in the labor force continues to decline like it has been, what is that going to mean for the future of our society? Good question. Well, it doesn't bode well, ladies and gentlemen. Prophecies reveal in Isaiah chapter 3 is going to take away the stay of bread. Let's read that. Isaiah chapter 3, verse 1 says, For behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, does take away from Jerusalem and from Judah. When you see that phrase there, it's talking about not only the Jews, but also the rest of the tribes of Israel. There were 12 tribes. Judah was one of them, which consists of the Jews today. But there's other tribes. They were scattered. Uh, they're not lost to me, but most historians, uh, they, 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 well, yeah, they, um, it's, it's lost to them. That's what I'm trying to say, because they don't know how to use the Bible properly to identify them. And on this program, I've been preaching for years that, the rest of the tribes consist of today geographically of the United States, the British Commonwealth of Nations, the countries in Northwestern Europe, South Africa, Australia, New Zealand. And, of course, anyone that believes in Yeshua Messiah and becomes immersed and, and really obeys him, they get grafted into the Commonwealth of Israel. All right, so that, who, that, that is who Israel is today. And when it talks about Jerusalem, which is the capital of those tribes, then that's, that's a, a, a prophetic message to let you know that he's talking about also all of Israel and Judah. All right? So, right here, for behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, does take away Jerusalem and from Judah the stay and the staff. That's the ability to take care of yourself. All right? The whole stay of bread and the whole stay of water. Bread and water sustains us, right? The mighty man, the man of war, the judge, and the prophet, the prudent, and the ancient, the captain of fifty, the honorable man, and the counselor, and the cunning artificer, the eloquent orator, the person who speaks well. And I will give children to be their princes, and babes shall rule over them. And the people shall be oppressed, every one to another, and every one by his neighbor. The child shall behave himself proudly, which they are today, against the ancient. They don't respect the, the old man, older woman. And the base against the honorable. He's describing here economic devastation, which the um, when you talk about the seals, the, the four horses of the apocalypse, the third one is talking about inflation, inflation, and how it causes destruction of nations, and that's what's going on as I'm speaking. All right, so. 
let's get into the concept of work here. I hope to get it done here within uh, the time that I have allotted here, which is 18 minutes. Uh, just going to be blunt and to the point here about the concept of work, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I, the Lord is leading me to do this because I have experience people really need to understand that they have to work, okay? Now, first of all, let's understand Genesis. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 3. And the Lord is leading me to go here for a reason. Because we have to understand what he commanded the man to do. Verse 3, verse 17, wait a minute. First of all, let me go to the creation of Adam. And uh, he did tell Adam to work when he created him. Trying to find that scripture. I think it's in Genesis uh, chapter 1. And when he created man, it's right here in verse 26. He says, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And in verse 27, so God created man in his own image and the image of God created he him. Male and female created he him. Verse 28, and God blessed them. And God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth and subdue it. And that obviously requires work when you do that, right? And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and to every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And he says, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of the earth, and every tree in which is the fruit of the tree yielding seed is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat, and to every beast, or food rather, and to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for, for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good, and the evening and the morning was the sixth day. Now, let's go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them, verse 2. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which means God works, which he had made, and he rests on the seventh day from all his work, which he has made. Verse 3, and God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. So we know that God works. So Ephesians 5 verse 1 says we ought to imitate God. So if God works, we better work as well. All right? And uh, this is the creation of the Shabbat day, which, by the way, was created before Sinai. Pretty interesting Bible study in itself. All right, so in verse 8, verse 7, tells you the, the detailed, uh, detailed, um, way that God created a man. In verse 7, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Verse 8, And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. In verse 9, And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for the food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the true tree of the knowledge of evil. All right, so he put the man in the garden. Here, here's verse 15, a reference to work, the first one, really. And the Lord God took the man, as far as the man working, and the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden to dress it and to keep it. Abad in Hebrew means to work. 
and to keep it and to guard it. And so that was the man's responsibility. He put him in the garden not to lay around all day and do nothing and just eat the fruit, but to work it. So Adam was working that garden, and he worked all day. All right? So let's understand that uh, God did not create us just to be lazy and lay around and, and, and do nothing. All right? So let's let's understand that. Now, there's a simple commandment in the Bible that has everything to do with the Shabbat. And most people just don't get this, but I hope you get it today. Um, plain, blunt statement that he makes about work. And Exodus 20, verse 9, but I'm going to start in verse 8. I'm reading this in the English Standard Version here. It says, Remember the Shabbat day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. So how many days should we work? Six. How many hours in a day? Let's take a look at that. Hold your place here. And, you know, this is all in the Bible first. Folks, rather. <laughs> this is all in the Bible. And if you're going to get angry at me, you better get angry at God because I didn't, I didn't make the definition of what, how many hours in a day is work and so forth. The Lord did. John chapter 11, verse 9. Jesus is his English name and Yeshua is his Hebrew name. Yeshua answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? And he says, if any man walk in the day, he stumbles not because he sees the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbles because there is no light in him. So anyway, the point that I want to make here is that the, our Lord is saying that there's 12 hours in the day. So we go back to the scripture, and some people say, well, I don't want to work 12 hours a day, but what, what, is, what does the Bible say? Okay, it says, remember the Sabbath day, which is 12, okay, wait a minute. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. All right? So, how many hours in a day? 12 hours. But the seventh day is a Sabbath unto the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the, the Sabbath day and made it holy. And in Deuteronomy 5, verse 12 to 15, it says, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. And so basically we have 12 times 6, we have 72 hours to work during the week. The seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you should not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or your sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Shabbat day. And so, we work. Why do we ultimately work, ladies and gentlemen? The answer may surprise you. Why don't you go ahead and answer that privately, and I'm going to show you what the Bible says, the reason why we work. All right? Ephesians 4, verse 28. This is God's answer. First of all, go ahead and answer the question to yourself. Privately, and then I'm going to read you what God says, the reason why we work. 
Ephesians 4, verse 28. Let him that still, let him that stole still no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needs. So that's the reason why we work, ladies and gentlemen. We work so that we can give to him that needs. That's why we work, ladies and gentlemen. That's the ultimate reason why we work, to give to other people that have needs, not just for our immediate family. Sure, we, may, we have to make sure that we aren't infidels and we should take care of our family, but the, the number one reason why we work is to take care of everyone, including our families. And First uh, Timothy alludes to the following scripture here, First Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. It states plainly, but if any... But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So in verse 8, but if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever or an infidel. So let's, let's keep that in mind as well. That's the reason why we have to work. And one of the things we should be doing on the Sabbath, uh, Luke chapter 14. Let's turn to Luke chapter 14. This is one of the reasons why we need the fellowship. Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 12. It says, Then said he also to him that bade him, When thou makest a dinner or a supper, Call not thy friends, nor thy brethren, neither thy kinsmen, nor thy rich neighbors, that they also bid thee again, and a recompense be made unto thee. In other words, they'll pay you back. Verse 13, but when you make up a feast, and the Shabbat, or the Sabbath day, is a feast day, folks. Call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and, and thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee, for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. So on the Sabbath, we should be looking for people that need to be fed, that, that have needs, and invite them to fellowship with you on Shabbat. That's something that we all can improve on. All right, so, did the apostles work? Yes, they did, ladies and gentlemen. And did the Messiah work? Uh, most people just don't get this, but yes, he did. Let's Let's turn, and people assume that for three and a half years he didn't do anything but preach. Well, that's an assumption, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, there's no proof that that's the case. But in, Ma in Mark chapter 6, verse 2, is, is an interesting scripture. Uh, Mark chapter 6, verse 2 to 3. Mark 6, verse 2 to 3. And when the Shabbat day was come, he began to teach in the synagogues. This is the Messiah. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence has this man... From whence has this man these things, and what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Verse 3, is not this the carpenter? And so, in the context of him preaching, they identified him as a carpenter. And so, people are going to tell me he didn't work. Yes, he did work. He worked while he preached, ladies and gentlemen. He did both, which is something that Jews did. They did that, and I'm going to prove that to you here. And this program may go over a little bit, but I've got to get these things out. And so should the program go over the allotted time, uh, you can listen to the entirety of this program in the archives. Uh, as far as the Jewish uh, tradition of work here, 
Jewish tradition teaches a rabbi should have a secular trade in work. This Jewish tradition is in harmony with the scriptures. That's why I'm, I'm talking about it here. Uh, this is in Sketches of a Jewish Social Life at Alfred Edersheim. It says, fair, I quote, fair is the study of the law, if accompanied by worldly occupation. Let me quote this again. Fair is the study of the law or the Torah if, if it's accompanied by worldly occupation. To engage in them both is to keep away from sin. Boy, that is so true. You have to engage in the fair study of the Torah and also have worldly occupation. To engage in them both is to keep away from sin. Because if you just study and don't work, you're going to be sinning. And if you just work and don't study, you're going to sin. So you have to do both. While study, which is not combined with work, must in the end be interrupted and only bring sin with it. That is so true, ladies and gentlemen. And Edersheim, page 174 of the book, Sketches of a Jewish Social Life, the great Hillel was a woodcutter. His rival, Shammai, a carpenter, just like Yeshua. And among the celebrated rabbis of aftertimes, we find shoemakers, tailors, carpenters, sandal makers, smiths, potters, builders, etc. In short, every variety of trade. Nor were they ashamed of their manual labor. If those are wondering what I do outside of ministry, I'm a writer. And I write business-to-business uh, sales writing for companies. That's what I do. That's my trade. Uh, Edersham, page 173. For in point of fact, with few exceptions, all the leading rabbinical authorities were working at some trade. And then here's the ultimate quote right here from a current rabbi, uh, Rabbi Daniel Lappin, who's very successful. And this is what this is a very illuminating quote here. Listen up. He wrote the book. This is from his book, Thou Shall Prosper, Ten Commandments for Making Money. This is on page 15 and 16 of his book. He states, Hoping to emulate the patterns from ancient Jewish tradition in which the community's leaders and teachers were themselves also engaged in earning their own livings, I too declined to accept a salary from the assembly. I decided that instead of being a paid rabbi, I would earn my living in business. With the support of my new bride, I worked for several companies, including Merrill Lynch, supporting my family while gaining business experience. Later, I formed my own real estate finance company. My wife, Susan, and I enjoyed the enormous benefits of being our congregants' friends rather than their employees. It's, it's enormous benefits, ladies and gentlemen, when, when, it, when it's done that way. This rabbinic status, common in Talmudic times, but rare today, it's so true, because we have inherited the disease of laziness, folks, also granted me some other valuable benefits. I was able to regulate admission to my Torah study lectures, of which I delivered seven each week. Because I was not a congregational employee, I felt free, free to welcome those who st stimulated me and those whose presence contributed to the intellectual excitement of the sessions. Now this is interesting that he says he felt free because Paul said the same thing. He said the same thing or alluded to being free anyway in reference to preaching the gospel. Even though I know this rabbi doesn't believe in the gospel, hopefully he will one day, but the concept is there. And so what I want to what I want you to focus on here is uh what Shaul said here. 
in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And this is what I follow. This is what I follow. And he does state this, yes, we should be supported, but that does that mean we, we shouldn't work? And I'm going to prove to you that Paul worked today. So um, I have about two minutes and 14 seconds, so I'm going to be going off the air here, but that does not mean that I'm not going to get through with this program. Uh, I will be on recording. Uh, the rest of the program will be recorded, and then you could uh, listen to the entirety of the program, I would say probably uh, is about 10.58 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, I, I should be done, I'm hoping anyway, in the next 30 minutes. And then I, I'm thinking uh, certainly by 1 o'clock the program will be, 1 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, the program will be available uh, for you to listen to online. And so please remember to uh, listen to the, uh, refer this program to those who have smartphones. Uh, it's accessible on, on your smartphones. Uh, of course, it's accessible on the Internet as well. Uh, so this program Help me uh, pass this program, this free, valuable program to other people who are wondering who God is, what is his plan, what should I do to repent. This program and, and all the other um, various pro uh, broadcasts that I've done throughout the years will answer those questions. If you want me to directly communicate to you, uh, please email me at canard at mercifulserviceofgod.com. You can also go to the Merciful Service of God website. And when you do that, uh, a drop-down box will, will come on the website, the drop-down on the website. Go ahead and subscribe to my free Merciful Service of God newsletter. So I'm going to continue on with this Bible study, and please listen to the entirety of it in the archives. Now, getting back to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, it states that uh, ministers should be compensated in verse 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, it is, a, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? Verse 12. If others be partakers of this power over you, are not we rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but we allow or we suffer all things that we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Verse 13. Do you not know that they which minister about holy things live with the things of the temple? and they which wait at the altar are partakers uh, with the altar. So he alludes right back to the, the tithes and offering systems or system that is revealed in the Old Testament. Verse 14, even so, so similarly, tithing is done away with, it's not, the concept isn't anyway. Verse 14, even so has the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should, and keep in mind the word should, should live of the gospel. <laughs> Verse 15, but I have used none of these things, Neither have I written these things, that it should be so done unto me. For if it were better for me to die, than that any should make my glorying void. Verse 16. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Verse 17. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. I have a reward. But... If against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. Verse 18, what is my reward then? And so if I'm not constantly begging people for money, as most ministers do, what is my reward, right? And that's what Paul is saying. Verily that when I preach the gospel, I make the gospel of Christ or the Messiah without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. Okay? 
Verse 19, for though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant to all that I might gain the more. And that's what Rabbi, the rabbi was saying, and that, that's what I'm saying as well. Come your contributions, we're going to say, don't, they're not going to say, no, don't give to us. But we should also be working. Why? Well, because the Messiah worked. He was a carpenter. And they, and they called him a carpenter while he was preaching. So obviously he didn't stop being a carpenter. Stop putting words into the scriptures that aren't there. And Shaul stated the following in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. He says, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. So that's a commandment, inspired scripture. It tells you to follow Paul. So, did Paul work? Well, we're about to find out here. We're about to find out. In Acts, it reveals that he did work. And I'm going to reveal that to you here. Since I can find the scripture here. Because he was a tent maker. He was a tent maker. And and uh he did uh, and some people uh, they they state that uh that may be alluding to the fact that he was um sowing to leets, that may be the case too, but the main thing is that he uh he was working. That's the point I want to make here. That he certainly was, because he had the same trade. And in Acts chapter 18, it says, After these things, Paul, Athens, and came to Corinth, verse 2, and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came unto them, verse 3, and because he was of the same craft, so he was of the same craft, ladies and gentlemen, Craft means, in the, in the Greek, a fellow artificer of the same craft. And, uh, and it means of the same trade. So he had a trade. So he's following the Jewish tradition because, after all, he was a Jew. And so he, he had a trade. He abode with them and wrought for, by their occupation, they were tent makers. They were tent makers, so no manufacturer of tents. All right, so he did work. And not only did he work, Let's look at 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 8. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 8. Now remember that this epistle is authored by three people. 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 1. Paul and Silvanus, or Silas, and Timotheus, or Timothy. So this epistle is authored by three people unto the church of the Thessalonians, and God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's look at 2 Thessalonians. Chapter Second Thessalonians, chapter three. Chapter three. Starting in verse eight. Actually verse seven. Actually verse six, I'm sorry. Now we command you, Second Thessalonians three, verse six. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Yeshua Messiah, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walks disorderly and not after the tradition which you received of us. Because this epistle is addressed by three people. Verse 7. For yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. So um, Silas did not, Timothy, and neither did Paul. Verse 8. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day. And so they worked not only the night, but also the day that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Because we have not power but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. All right? Verse 10, For even when we were with you, this we command you, that if any 
would not work, neither should he eat. All right? Verse 11, for we hear that there are some which walk around you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Verse 12, now them that are such we command and exhort by our sure Messiah that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. And then verse 13, be ye brethren, but ye brethren, be not weary in well-doing. All right, so they didn't want to be chargeable. And there's another scripture in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 9, it says the same thing. Let's turn there. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9. It states the following. For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preach unto you the gospel of God. So we shouldn't have to depend as ministers on people giving to us. Because there's a prophecy in Malachi chapter 3 that says uh, that uh, the people rob God because they don't give their tithes and offerings like they should. So that's, <laughs> that's certainly a reason why, as ministers, we better have something on the side. Because we may say something that they don't like and all that, and that, that happened to me. Even though it's proved out of the Bible, then they use it as an excuse to stop giving. And so that's the reason why you better have something on the side, because you don't want the members controlling you and uh, dictating to you what you should preach. And if you don't preach what they want, then they're going to stop giving to you. You don't want that to occur, ladies and gentlemen. You don't want to be in that situation. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 11, verse 9. I'm talking to ministers. Second Corinthians 11, verse 8. And see, he had to rob of the churches because the other assemblies weren't giving him what they should have. In 2 Corinthians 11, verse 8, I robbed other churches, taking wages of them to do you service. That means that he, he, um, the other assemblies gave more than what they should have because the other assemblies that he, that he set up as an apostle did not give like they should, fulfilling the prophecy in Malachi chapter 3 about being stingy and giving. Verse 9, and when I was present with you and wanted, I was chargeable to no man. For that which was lacking to me, the brethren which came from Macedonia supplied, and in all things I kept myself from being a burden unto you, and so will I keep myself. And so he did not want to be a burden to anyone, and a minister should not be a burden, should not be a burden to his students, ladies and gentlemen. All right? An unnecessary burden. We should not do that. That's not the purpose of ministry, to, to depend on the people to give to you. The purpose of ministry is to be an example on how to live God's way of life. That's the purpose of a ministry, ladies and gentlemen, and to give to people. All right? So, that is the truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God. And I'm going to preach the truth. Now, we must all overcome laziness, ladies and gentlemen. In this country, the average American looks at five or six hours of television. Most Americans abhor the thought of working 12 hours a day, but... That's what a day is, folks, 12 hours. And, and work is not just going to a job and clocking in and clocking out. It's also doing things that will help you increase your income. Also doing things that will help other people. That's what the Bible is talking about as far as work. But we must make sure that our work is profitable. Because if it isn't, then any work that we're doing, I mean, it's nothing wrong with charitable work where you don't get paid, but if you're focusing on that more so than generating uh, a profit through work, then you're going to have some issues. So, uh, And then 
Why do you work? So that you can give those who are in need. If you're not generating any income, how can you give to those who are in need? Okay, so that <laughs> I'm just being I'm just being realistically uh blunt with you. Proverbs chapter six. Proverbs chapter six. Proverbs chapter six. Starting in verse six. And this is gonna be the last verse here. And I think this is pretty plain, ladies and gentlemen. We've got to get off and stop being lazy and start working. And those who are toward teachers, listen to this. Hey, if people are giving to you, that's fine. But be an example to the people, like Shaul was, and work. Either start your own business or get out there and work a regular job. Proverbs 6, verse 6. Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Verse 7. Which having no guide, overseer, or ruler provides her meat or food in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you sleep, O sluggard? When will you arise out of thy sleep? Verse 10, yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. He says just a little. Verse 11, so shall thy poverty come as one that travail and they want as an armed man. All right? Um, actually, I thought this was the last scripture. This will be the last scripture um, in Proverbs chapter 30. The goal, ladies and gentlemen, in reference to work is to give to those who are in need, but also uh, we should desire the following. Verse 8, remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, verse 9, that I be full and deny thee and say, who is the Lord? or that I be poor and still and take the name of my God. And so we should be at a point where we're, you know, we don't want to be filthy rich like Bill Gates. On the other hand, we don't want to be poor either. We want to be in a situation where we can help people, really help people. So it's nothing wrong. Now, if you want to desire riches, it's nothing. Here's another scripture that popped up I have to quote. I'm sorry. So hopefully I'll be done soon. And First Timothy chapter 6, for those who want to be rich, well, it's nothing wrong with that, but be rich God's way. And here's a commandment to those who want to be rich. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in the uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Verse 18. That they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. And verse 19. Laying in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold unto eternal life and so if you want to be rich there's nothing wrong with that but make sure that you realize that you must give of your possessions and share uh, with your possessions to other people what okay here's another scripture because <laughs> i'm not done yet <laughs> but but what is the uh, a test of a ministry ladies and gentlemen what what is the real test of a ministry all right they know that but most people don't even know or understand the following scripture that I'm going to quote to you. So in Second Corinthians chapter nine, I'm going to read the entire chapter here because this is this is significant, and I think I'm going to read this in the complete Jewish Bible version. Actually, no, I'll read this in the King James version. All right, so verse 9 of Second Corinthians 9, verse 1, For as touching and ministering to the saints, it is uh, superfluous for me to write to you. 
For I know the fortitude of your mind, for which I boast of you to them in Macedonia, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal has provoked very many. Verse 3, Yet have I sent the brethren that not our boasting of you should be in vain in this behalf, that, as I said, you may be ready. Not haply if they of Macedonia come with me and find you unprepared, we that we say not, ye should be ashamed in this same confident boasting. Verse 5, Therefore I, bought it, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they will go before unto you and make up beforehand your bounty, where if you had noticed before, that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty and not of covetousness. Verse 6, But this I say, he which soweth sparingly, in other words, you being stingy, shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Verse 7, Every man according to as he proposed in his heart, proposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly, or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful gift. So you shouldn't give because you're forced. You should give because you want to. God respects that kind of giving. Verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye, always having all sufficient in all things, may abound to every good work. That's why we work, so we can give. Verse 9, As it is written, He has dispersed abroad, He has given to the poor. This is the definition of a righteous man. His righteousness remains forever. So you're not a righteous man if you don't want to give to the poor. Neither are you a righteous man if you don't consider the needs of the poor. And, and so, uh, Psalm, in Proverbs 29, verse 7, reveals that. Second uh, Corinthians 9, verse 10. Now he that ministers seed to the sour, both minister bread for your food, and multiply your seed sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Verse 11. Being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causes through, through us thanksgiving to God. For the administration of this service not only supplies the want of the saints, but it's abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. Verse 13, while it's by the experiment of this ministration, they glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Messiah and for your liberal distribution unto them and to all. All right? And that, let me read this in the, uh, there's another version that really uh, clarifies the scripture here. I'm trying to find it here. Um, I think it's in the Amplified. Yes. The Amplified Version, which is an excellent word-for-word translation of the Bible, uh, is 2 Corinthians 9, verse 13, because of your standing of the test of this ministry. What is the test of the ministry? What is the test of your service? They will glorify God for your loyalty and obedience to the gospel of Messiah, which you confess, as well as your generous heart liberality, liberality to them and to all, all the other needy ones. And so the test of your ministry is whether you want to give to people, folks, not to just giving the people automatically says your ministry is okay, but certainly you have to do that in addition to keeping all the rest of the commandments to prove that you are a ministry of God, ladies and gentlemen. And so, popping in my mind, what, what is pure worship or pure religion? Verse 27, um, reading this in the um, Amplified Version, external religious worship, religion that is expressed in outward acts, that is pure and unblemished in the sight of God the Father is this, to visit and help and care for the orphans and widows in their affliction and need. In other words, to, to care for people, because widows certainly is a symbol of poverty, a symbol because most widows are are, are are struggling and orphans. And so they're the poorest of the poor in society. To visit and help and care for the orphans and the widows in their affliction and need and to keep oneself unspotted and uncontaminated from the world. And you do that by keeping the commandments, all the commandments, including the Shabbat and the Holy Days, like Yeshua did. All right, so that is what we need to do, and we need to focus on working 12 hours a day, not just clocking in and clocking out, but also doing 
whatever you can within those hours to produce income and to help people. It doesn't mean that some of those hours can't be devoted to charitable work. However, it should not be so much charitable work that you neglect profitable work to help people. Because as I read in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, you have to work to generate what you need to give to those who are in need. Because in Ephesians 4 verse 28, it says we work to give to those who are in need. So we've got to make sure within those 12 hours that we're doing enough work within those hours, income to help those who are in need, in addition to charitable work. So I'm hoping I'm making myself very clear to not only people who aren't ministers, but those who are ministers, that you must, as God commands, and as, as in the example of Shaul, Paul, who says to follow his example, that we must also work like he and work like our Messiah and, and find us either a, a secular job or start our own business and be an example to the people on how we should work six days a week. Because Yeshua, Messiah, works six days a week. Our Father in Heaven works six days a week. We should be working six days a week as well. All right? With that, shalom, peace. And next week I will be talking about the Feast of Trumpets and how significant it is. And so, may God bless and keep you. And y'all willing or God willing, I'll be available to you next week. Shalom. Peace.